Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and at MBUK Magazine as well. Joining me over the power of Microsoft Teams is Alex Evans. He's another one of Bike Radar's Senior Technical Editors. Hello, Alex. Hey, Tom. And also we have Robin Weaver. He's our Technical Editor-in-Chief. How are you doing, Rob? I'm good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm all good, thank you. Uh, I just apologise at the start of the podcast if our sound quality is not up to our usual standards. We're all recording in slightly different locations to where we usually do, so there might be a few more echoes, whizzes, bangs and pops. So uh, apologies in advance. Um, Al, very quickly, how are you getting on at the moment? What are you up to? Uh, yeah, I'm all good. Thank you, Tom. Uh, whizzes, bangs and pops just reminds me uh, of something uh, reminiscent of maybe last night's dinner coming back up. So let, let's hope there's uh, let's hope there's none oh of that. Oh, my God. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed for that. Sounds sinister, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. Thank you, Tom, yeah. Lovely stuff. Rob, how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, just uh, in the basement of the office, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence the echo, maybe. Might get kicked out by a cleaner. At some point soon, <laughs> who knows? Hey ho, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> right, in today's podcast, we are talking about our mountain bike bike of the year test. This is a special episode that's going out uh, in conjunction with all three, well, the top reviews on uh, Bike Radar and as well as MBUK magazine. Is it SU421, I think? Um, where the full it test is. is going to be revealed. So, obviously, if you want to read the reviews of all of our bikes, Head to your newsstand, pick it up from a shop, or have a look on bikecredit.com for all the reviews and associated content. But we thought we'd record a very quick podcast running through, well, we're going to mention all the bikes that we tested, because there was quite a lot, uh, and then we're going to talk about the top three, um, and specifically our winning bikes of the year. In this is Bike of the Year test, uh, Alex tested all our electric mountain bikes, Rob tested all the enduro bikes, and I tested all of our trail bikes. Now, we also had a budget bike of the year test, but we're not going to talk about that in this podcast. Um, but let's start with you, Al. Do you want to quickly run through all eight of the bikes you tested? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a, a, a massive number of brands, um, like Super State with this year's selection. I think it's really representative of of the bikes that people are genuinely going to be looking at um, when, they're, when they're going out there and, you know, looking for a new bike. First up, uh, it's Nukeproof's Megawatt 297 RS which is their RockShox equipped uh, model, and this retails for $7,599. Then we had Orbea's Wild FSMT with a few cheeky upgrades, $9,207. Pivot Shuttle LT29 Ride SLX XT, which is a bit bit of a mouthful for a name. Uh, That's knocking on the nose of $10,000. Santa Cruz's Bullet CCS, and that one's $8,699. Specialized Turbo Levo Expert, which is their carbon-framed uh, Levo, um, really nice bike. Uh, that's coming in at ten grand as well. Transitions Repeater NX Carbon, once again another carbon frame bike. That one's seven four nine nine. Trex Rail nine point eight XT Gen three, uh, once again another mouthful. Uh, this bike's actually not available. There's a Gen four one now. Uh, but the frame's basically identical. There have been a few minor changes to the controls. Uh, that's 8350. And finally is White's E180 RSX MX Super Enduro. Once again, another mouthful. Uh, and that's 8799. Lovely stuff. Uh, and Rob, you did the Enduro bikes. Do you want to very, very quickly run through all of those? Sure thing. Right. Okay. So we start off with a Bird Aries 9. So that's the Shimano build, uh, or based on the Shimano build, uh, with the optional 180mm link and a ride wrap covering, which costs just over 4,330 quid. It's actually a bit of a bargain when you actually look at the spec on that bike. On to another bargain, Vitus Sommet uh, 297 amp, which was five and a half grand. So this is the latest 2023 build. So it's actually... Um, gets a few updates compared to what's currently on their website. So well worth a look at. Um, bit of a price hike, but a change in componentry as well, which is what explains that. 
Uh, I also had the Canyon Strive CFR Underdog. So their full-blown thoroughbred Enduro race bike, which costs £4,800. The new Giant Rain 1. So this was actually the cheapest bike on test at just under four grand. Uh, alloy frame, more travel, uh, pretty exciting bike actually. Um, then there was the Kotick Rocket Max Silver Mullet. So another mouthful. Uh, I think bikes are getting really complicated. If, you know, when it comes to just the names, the configurations and the builds and all this stuff, it gets pretty confusing. But anyway, this uh, is £4,949 with all the upgrades. So I actually had a coil shock on that, the Cane Creek Kitsuma, which is a fantastic shock. Um, then I had a uh what did i have nuke proof mega 297 carbon elite also uh for around about what was that four eight four yeah four nine i think it is four thousand nine hundred pounds so again it's an updated spec for 2023 um so a few changes over the current bike you'll see on currently on their website um then there's the yt capra 29 core four so that retails for 5199 I believe, and comes with some killer kit. They're actually selling it off a bit cheaper right now as well. So if you look online, you get yourself a bargain. Then there is finally the Merida 166000 for £4,600. Sorry, I had to try and remember. I haven't actually got those ones written down on the piece of paper in front of me. So I was just trying to remember those <laughs> off the top of my head. You did very well, Rob. I'm, I'm impressed. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Far better job than I would have done if I didn't have my list right in front of me. <laughs> I, was, I was like frantically scrolling. Going, <laughs> I did write it down. It's somewhere. It's somewhere, but I haven't got it to hand. Of course not. Why would I? All right. Well, in, in the trail bike category, and I'm going to go in alphabetical order because that's how it's presented on my list. Uh, I've got the Cannondale Habit Carbon 3. Uh, sorry, no, it was an alloy. So it was a Cab Cannondale Habit 3, um, which is a brand new model. Um, it was released middle of testing, so I had it pre-release, so that was kind of exciting. Um, Kotick Jet Mullet Silver SLX. Uh, now the name suggests that it's got mullet wheels on there. Um, I picked those. Um, the Silver SLX build, um, so an SLX drivetrain. Um, but being Kotick, I was able to alter some of the spec uh, to hit the price point that I wanted to, um, which came in at just under £4,000. Uh, and I included a Charger 2.1 upgrade to the RockShox Revelation fork. That's something that Kotick offers, so kind of cool. Um, Marin Rift Zone 27.5 XR. Um, so this uh, was £3,100 there or thereabouts. Uh, the only 27.5 full bike in my test, and one of the few trail bikes out there that is still fully 27.5 um, for a new model. Um, they obviously do 29 version as well, which Al, you tested last year as well, I believe. Um, had the Merida 14700, so that was the uh, top level alloy. Uh, Merida 140 and it actually shares the same frame with the 160 uh, they just changed the shock stroke uh, and fork length to give you, you know, basically two models from the same frame pretty smart uh, Trex Fuel EX8 Gen 6 so that's the latest uh, Trek Fuel um, uh, and yet quite a spendy one that 4350 it was the most expensive in the test uh, Vitus Escarp 29 CRS, um, so the Escarp might be due an upgrade at some point soon, but it's still a killer trail bike, um, and the CRS1 carbon frame, pretty good value at £3,199.99. pence. had the white T140 RS29, another alloy uh, bike there from white, came in at £4,099, so barely spendy, uh, and the venerable YT Jeff C Core 3, um, you know, it's been around since 2019, 2018, 2019, carbon frame, but still, you know, bang up to date in terms of spec and suspension. And that came in at £3,799. Um, so those are the 24, eight, 16, 24 bikes that went into our <laughs> Good like, man. quick Must be a mental math champ. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I went into our main bike of the year test this year. Um, Shall we very, very, very quickly um, talk about bikes three and two uh, in our in our rundowns? How does that sound, guys? Perfect. Al, can you rattle through <laughs> three and two quickly? So bikes two and three in the EMTB segment. I mean, the whole EMTB segment was super closely fought out. 
So, um, you know, I could have quite happily swapped bikes two and three with four and five. And to be completely honest with you, the winner only edges ahead of those of those top four bikes, basically. Um, but it was a winner. So bike number three, it was the Santa Cruz Bullet. So congratulations to Santa Cruz on coming number three in our 2023 EM2 Bike of the Year Award. So the Bullet CCS is their, um, I don't know how you say this so politely, it's the one up from the bottom of the range. So it's the second most affordable, I think is the correct terminology. Um, it's fitted with SRAM's GX Eagle drivetrain, um, a Fox Performance 38 fork with a grip damper, and then a RockShox Select Plus, I think it is, Select Plus R or something like that, rear shock, uh, Shimano's EP8 motor, and 630 watt hour battery. So Santa Cruz, it's a really good bike. It's a real generalist. Um, it's amazing when you start heading downhill really quickly over rough terrain. The suspension's super supple, it feels super planted. It does a huge amount of the heavy lifting for riders. Um, you know, you don't have to get particularly involved to ride quickly or ride fast or be comfortable. Um, on the uphills, its geometry is pretty good, but it kind of the, the position that it puts you in sort of defies the way that the geometry figures would suggest that it should feel. It should feel like a winch and plummet bike, you know, steep seat tube angle, fairly short top tube. In reality, it kind of feels more like a trail bike when you're climbing. Um, you know, there are a few factors at play here. Um, the optimum setup window for the rear shocks a bit softer than you know you'd, you'd kind of maybe go for naturally, and that sort of squats the back end down and. Um, yeah, it kind of makes you feel a little bit lent towards the bars. Um, I think probably the biggest thing um, counting against the Santa Cruz versus bikes two and one is the Shimano motor. So previously Shimano motor, um, really good for its uh, kind of frugal use of its battery power. Um, the payoff for that was that the Shimano motor feels uh, slightly underpowered compared to other other brands such as the Bosch. Um, and, you know, combined with um, slightly down on power and now Bosch has had a software update, the Shimano is actually not as uh, not as efficient as the Bosch motor. So it sort of knocks it, knocks it back in terms of the pecking order. Um, bike number two is the white E180 RSX MX Super Enduro. Now, uh, last year, the E180, uh, which was a full 27 and a half wheeled bike, uh, came second as well, I believe. Um, and uh, this one this year has also come second. White's definitely addressed uh, some of the criticisms that I had last year of, of their E180 by flipping to a mullet setup. So uh, mixed wheels, big wheel on the front, small wheel on the back. Um, it gets increased battery size for this year, so it's a 750 watt hour power tube battery combined with this Bosch motor. And my God, the thing flies uphill. It absolutely flies. Like that Bosch motor is really rewarding feeling when you pedal. You get so much back from it, no matter how hard you're pedaling. Um, and the higher your cadence is and the harder you pedal, the more power it gives you, which is kind of opposite to the way the Shimano feels. The harder you pedal, the, the kind of motor power tapers off. Uh, on the climbs, the E180 seat tube angles may be a little slack. It's at like 75.3 degrees, something along those lines in the high setting. So in the low setting, it gets a little slacker. Um, whilst not the end of the world, you know, you can angle the saddle nose down and stick it forward in the rails. Um, it's kind of not ideal. Um, you know, it could do with being a bit steeper. On the downhills, however, the thing is an absolute monster. It loves to be ridden fast. It's got loads of suspension travel and you can absolutely hammer into like rough terrain. It's a proper Descenders uh, e-enduro bike. You know, the clues in the name, basically. Um, and so for me, like it's got, you know, great spec. It's got factory, factory level Fox suspension. It's got SRAM's access rear derailleur. Um, you know, there's, there's really very little to complain about. Um, that's my, my two and three or three and two, depending on, you know, which way you look at it. Lovely stuff, Al. So uh, Santa Cruz in third, White in second. We'll reveal the winner in a minute. But Rob, do you want to talk through uh, positions three and two in the Enduro Bike of the Year test? Why not? So rounding out the top three, again, like Al, it was one of those, I think it's probably the first year where 
you could easily take the bikes that were maybe just a little way behind and just stick them in the top three. All the bikes in this test this year were mm. so good. You only have to look at the scores across the board just to see how consistent and how good everything is. So mm. obviously, while that's great for the consumer, God, it makes our lives tough, doesn't it? <laughs> it um, so, so rounding out the top three, but only just, uh, is the YT Capra 29 Core 4. So... This currently costs 5200 or just under. I mean, it's currently reduced to, I think, 49 online. Um, yeah. So it's the only full 29er I had in my top three. Um, it's a carbon frame. It comes with Fox factory suspension. So you get the gold Kashima coating uh, on the 38 fork, which has 170 mm travel. The X2 factory shock takes care of the 165 mil at the rear. Um, so I know it sounds quite, obviously it's very expensive, but you do get incredible kit on there. Mm. You also get the Crank Brothers Synthesis Enduro alloy wheels, amazing Maxxis tires, um, Asagai up front with um, Max Grip compound and a Minion DHR2 at the back. Um, both in XO casing, oh, sorry, XO plus casing, Sorry, don't worry, Al. It's okay. Panic in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you get a Renthal bar and stem. Um, and one of the only bits of sort of own branded kit on there is the YT Postman seat post. So on the medium frame, that only comes with 125 mil of drop, which feels mm. like a bit of an issue, uh, especially if you have little legs. Uh, and need as much clearance as possible when you're riding down steep stuff. But uh, it is a fixable problem uh, for not too much cash. Uh, it is just a bit of a shame, I think, um, in this day and age when you know dropper posts are so good and so long that we're still coming up against this sort of stuff. But regardless, it doesn't really detract from how good the Capra 29er is as an all-rounder. So I think... Um, in terms of the geometry, it's actually a little bit more reserved, say, than um, both the Merida and the Nukeproof Mega. Um, so the reach is just under 450 mil for the medium. Uh, that's matched to a four, roughly 440 uh, rear center. Um, 64 degree head angle, 77, I think, on the seat angle or, or thereabouts. Um, so it's it's or maybe seventy seven and a half in fact. So it's it's all pretty contemporary. Maybe the you know some of the some of those measurements are a little more reserved, but regardless, the general feel from the suspension, it's decently progressive. There's plenty of support. Um, it's just one of those bikes that you jump on and you can ride instantly fast. There's it, it, you know like in terms of setup, set your sag and you're pretty much good to go. YT have done a good job with, you know, making sure they've got a decent number of tokens of stock in the fork and the shock. And it feels like, you know, once once I set it up, I left it. I pretty much left it from the get-go. Um, I would say it's maybe not the most uh, sprightly on the climbs. You know, none of these bikes are really, mainly due, due to the heavy tires and sticky compounds. But um, the YT... And the Mega, in fact, were, were two of the bikes that I had to use the um, the threshold lever on the on the shock. So the low speed compression damping just gets turned up a little bit and helps to create a firmer platform to pedal against. Um, the YT was noticeably sort of uh, it would sink into its travel quite easily, so effectively slackens the seat angle a little bit. But flicking the shock's lever props you up a little bit higher, just makes things a bit more efficient. There's limits pedal bob and stuff like that. But on the downs, um, aside from that seat post issue, that bike is just easy to ride, super fast. I think you're probably going to say the same about that. You know, if we were to talk about the Jesse, you'd say exactly the same. It's mm. um, not necessarily radical, but it's so easy to live with, so much fun to ride. It's nicely agile. You can chuck it around. It's just heaps of fun. And every time, you know, you look at the, angles on paper and you sort of um and ah, okay maybe it's a bit pricey maybe i don't need all this stuff maybe um the angles aren't as um 
up to date as Sam. And then you ride it and you go, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just great. It's just a brilliant bike to ride. Yeah. It's that easy to live with. Um, every single time I got on that bike, I had a wicked time. Nice. Absolutely. Hands down. Um, and, and to be fair, it's a really similar story with the Mega. Um, so as I said before, this bike is, uh, is the 2023 build. So it's slightly different to what you can probably see online right now. Um, so that now comes with, uh, Eagle, uh, so SRAM GX Eagle access, um, gearing. So slightly different to the, I think it had, I think it was a Shimano setup previously on that elite build. Um, a Fox 38 fork, but it's the performance elite. So you still get a grip, uh, sorry, grip two damper and 170 mm travel like you do on the YT, but no Kashima coating and a Fox uh, X2 performance shock. So adjustment is a little bit more limited with that. Um, we were chatting about this yesterday. It was really interesting to see just how many inconsistencies they were across the same sets of forks in mm. this test. I had some good 38 performance elite forks. I had some not so good ones. Luckily for the Mega, uh, the fork on here was brilliant, super supple, really sensitive. Um, it meant I could uh, get it to rebound fast enough. I could use the damping as and when I needed to, which when we were out in Italy, in fact, I did have to crank a little bit on because it was so fast and rough out there. Um, it still comes with a rather basic Brand X Ascend seat post, but you do get 150 mm drop. Um, and they've switched to the SRAM DB8 brakes. So as standard, Nuke Proof sell this bike with 200 mil rotors. I actually upped them to 220, simply down to the fact that the DB8 brakes just don't feel as powerful, uh, maybe just not as powerful as um, I'd prefer, but also they almost don't match the capability of the bike, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, a bike like this can be ridden so fast and so hard in, in really steep, full-on terrain. And if the brakes are kind of lacking, it just means you kind of hold back a little bit. So up in the rotor size helped, added a bit more punch, but it doesn't take away from the lever feel, which I'd say is maybe a little more binary. You can't really control that power quite as well as you can on something like the Code RSC, which is on the, um, the YT, or in fact the Shimano SLX brakes, which is on the Merida. Um, geometry on the Mega is a little more stretched out than the YT. Um, only a little bit though. So the reach I think is 455 mil. It's a 435 back end, but it's actually uses a smaller rear wheel to get 27 and a half rear wheel in the back there. Um, in terms of travel, they're pretty much identical. So 165 at the back, 170 at the front. Uh, I think I measured the head angle just under 64 degrees. So pretty slack. Um, seat angle similar, I think around 77. This bike just feels like it has a bit more depth to the travel though. Um, it feels like you can just, uh, I suppose maybe combined with the fact that it's a little bit longer, it's actually lower. So the YT bottom bracket's a little, a little bit higher. Um, it feels like you can be, you know, you're, you're sunk lower into this bike compared to the YT. Uh, I think which just then adds a little bit of confidence when it comes to cornering and stuff like that. And it's, I'd argue, a touch comfier too. So when it gets really rough, really steep, uh, and you kind of just want to hold on for dear life and drag your brakes, the Mega's just that bit easier to ride in those situations. Um, and, and again, every time I got on this bike, had a wicked time, despite the brakes. How about you, Tom? I had similar sort of thoughts on those DB8s. They're SRAM's first mineral oil brake because obviously they use, usually use the dot 5.1 mm. um, across you know all of their common brakes and they bought in this dba as a as a i guess as a budget option i'm not really sure what the thought behind it was but i had it on a couple of test bikes and they really didn't impress to be totally honest no they're okay i think but compared to lower end shimano you know dior mm. or slx that you know they feel arguably better more powerful I mean, even compared to i'd say like a g2 which yeah you know is i'm sure cost wise is within a little bit of, of the db8 i don't know it, they, they 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 didn't boost a bike score in my, in my eyes at least <laughs> so give us give us a, a rundown on your uh second and third place then 
Well, in third place was uh, the white T140 RS29. Um, so this came in at £4,100, which was relatively expensive in my test, which sort of probably contributed towards it not coming, um, you know, in, in second. Uh, like yourself and like Al, you know, I could have picked any bike from easily the top five to have come out to Italy for our top three shootout. Mm. Um, but the white definitely snuck in there um, because I sort of felt that it was, you know, the true sort of do-it-all trail bike out of out of the group. It's, you know, it's good up a hill, but maybe not the best. It's good down a hill, but maybe not the best. It's a sort of bike that I'd want to go and do long, all-day rides on. Maybe not the bike I'd choose to go and ride the gnarliest of tracks, but also a bike that's way more capable than, than something that's built for just, you know, spinning around a trail centre day in, day out. I, I feel that sort of sits in that lovely little middle ground of kind of what a trail bike ride what a trail bike really should do mm. so yeah so it's aluminium frame with 135 mil of travel at the back uh, and 140 mil at front and geometry wise you know white sort of tends to sit in that relatively progressive but not super um radical side of things so uh, i think the reach on my large was 483 which is pretty long um uh, there's a uh, 64.7 degree head angle that I measured um, and I measured at my 750 mil saddle height the seat angle of 76.9 degrees so you know there's nothing super radical on there but also nothing that's gonna gonna hold you back um, in terms of kit um, it comes with some pretty nice stuff there's a Fox 34 performance elite so a 34 sanction fork rather than the 35 and 36 that you see on a lot of slightly more aggressive trail bikes these days um, but still you know like a nice performer smooth well supported um, the grip damper doesn't seem too harsh, I found, on that Fox 34. Um, and it comes in, yeah, with 140mm of travel. Uh, there's a SRAM Mechanical GX group set on there. SRAM's G2R brakes with 180mm rotors front and back. Perhaps a little bit underpowered um, compared to maybe the equivalent Shimano or, you know, a, a slightly pricier G2R SC or, or whatever you might get. Uh, but decent nonetheless. Um, and a nice pair of Maxxis tyres uh, as a Minion DHF on the front and a dissector on the back with that EXO Plus casing, which is something I really like to see on trail bikes, actually, when you get um, a slightly heavier-duty rear casing on a tyre, because you are going to slap it into some things pretty hard. You know, these bikes are super capable. Um, so in general, I found that the the Trek, you know, just a very good average all-round bike, If that, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. Um, mm. It climbs pretty nicely. There is a little bit of pedal bob going on there, but, you know, only when you're sort of mashing on the pedals, um, if you sat spinning, it climbs pretty well. Loads of traction as well. Um, the rear end felt really supple, um, really happy to sort of eke out every little bit of grip from the rear tyres. Um, and then on the way down, you know, geometry-wise, it was it was good. There's reasonable support in there, so you can kind of push it and, and roll it along rollers, uh, generate some speed, get it through berms without it sagging and sinking too far in there. But there's enough suppleness and softness in there that it, it really sort of doesn't feel like a harsh ride. The Fox 34 at the front, again, it's a nice feeling fork, but if you're a heavier rider or maybe a bit more aggressive, you are going to absolutely twang it through its travel. I did bang it off its bump stops a few times, and, and you can kind of feel that chassis twisting and, and, and flexing a bit when you really push it hard. But if you're looking for a normal trail bike ride sort of style, you're not going to come across that very often. Um, so, yeah, overall... I actually really liked it. It was kind of the bike I would pull out of the garage if I was going to go and do like a 30, 40, 50k, you know, out on the hills sort of epic. Um, but if I was going to go and point it down something really steep and gnarly, perhaps I'd have picked another one of the bikes. Um, that bike might, I guess, have been the Vitus uh, Escarp CRS 29 or 29 CRS, uh, which is a bike that came in second. Uh, so this comes in at £3,199 or um, $3,599. And it's kind of, while the white is like a real good all-rounder, you know, what, you know, V to say that this is their all-round bike, but I actually found it performed best. That performance window that Al mentioned with the rear suspension, I found that performance window for the rear suspension, the Vetus, was when it was a little bit softer, a little bit more descent-focused, and that's where this scarp I found really sort of comes alive. It's it's super supple, super smooth and, and forgiving, so you can push it down, you know, really fast, technical, rocky terrain, and the rear wheel just sticks to the floor. It isolates you really beautifully from the ground, so you don't feel rattled and, and you know, out of shape and all over the place. Um, 
And it just lets you sort of get off the brakes, point towards the exit of wherever you're looking and just sort of get on with it. It kind of trucks over everything in a really beautifully composed way. I feel like we're, we're shortchanging the, the listeners, but because they can't see all these uh, hand gestures that you're making <laughs> to explain all this stuff. I'm, I'm a very handsy talker, aren't I? It just adds <laughs> another layer of depth in. So listeners, you need to be aware that Tom's, Tom's barely sat still for the last 10, 15 minutes, waving his hands around, <laughs> explaining how, how the bikes feel with his hands as well as his mouth. It's very impressive stuff. If Keep you want going, visual Tom. representation Sorry to interrupt. Of that, I, I imagine the, um, the video that's going on our YouTube channel is going to be lots of hand movements in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> the downside of its excellent descending capability is that perhaps it doesn't perform quite as well as some of the other trail bikes in this test when you go back up a hill. So even when you're sort of sat spinning in beautiful circles, there's still a bit of shock movement. And as soon as you sort of, your pedaling style gets a little bit wayward, the bike does feel soggy. It does sort of, sort it does start to bounce through its travel a bit more. And if you stand up and pedal, you're really going to be reaching for the lockout on the shock because it's it's not it's not amazing at going uphill, but it is super comfortable. And it does mean that there is so much traction when you're going up loose, rocky climbs because that rear suspension is so free to move up and down. Just a quick note on value before we move on to our top three bikes because I realize I'm rabbiting on a little bit. 319999, you get a carbon frame on there. Uh, there is a Shimano SLX drivetrain, which is great. Really good Shimano SLX brakes, 203 mil rotor at the front, 180 at the back. Although it is a two-piston at the back, not a four-piston like it is on the front. Nuke-proof finishing kit. But in terms of suspension, you've got a RockShox Lyric Select with 150 mil at the front um, and a RockShox Deluxe Select RT at the back, um, giving that 140 mil. Just a really impressive uh, kit for the money. Um, so that's why it came in second as well. Yeah, nice. I, I actually hopped on that bike when uh, when, we were, when we were out in Italy, and you're you know you've totally, absolutely sum, summarized it perfectly. It was brilliant on the descent. Super, super comfortable, super grippy. Mm. Definitely rode like it had more travel. I thought. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a much bigger bike than it is. It did ride. So I've set up with about thirty percent sag, is where I sort of felt its sweet spot was. And I, when you ride it with twenty five percent sag it starts to not climb quite so well. Uh, sorry, not descend quite so well. It felt a little bit harsher, uh, but it did obviously climb a bit better. So maybe set up how you want it. Right, we have not got long left in this podcast, so we're going to very quickly go through our top three, top, well, the top three bikes, so the top bike from each category. It's, it's totally my fault. They're, they're doing, we've, we've got a first aid course. I can hear them moving stuff around. I think um, there's the meeting room up, right up above me. <laughs> and they're obviously... Uh, dragging in the victims that we have to resuscitate <laughs> or patch up. This sounds like there's a lot of them. It's going to be a busy day. Well, why don't we start with our Enduro bike of the year, just in case Rob has to run off and, and save some mannequins' lives. <laughs> Rob, what was Those your... Uh, mannequins. <laughs> what was your bike of the year? So, in the end, after a lot of back-to-back -back testing, some sleepless nights and some very sweaty palms while I tried to work out what could come out on top it ended up being the merida 166000 um i must admit when we found out they were relaunching these bikes so i've ridden whoa, two or three of the 160s over the years and while on paper they've had a number of things that look that they're you know just about right they've either been decent on the suspension or really good on the geometry front it's never really all sort of added up in terms of that on trail feel but I would say they have totally hit the nail on the head with this. Um, for 4,600 quid, you get a RockShox Zeb Select Fork. You get the Select Plus um, Super Deluxe Rear Shock, SLX Drivetrain, SLX Brakes, um, amazing Maxxis tires, decent finishing kit for Merida. Um, I would say probably the one really controversial thing is the... Uh, internally rooted headset mm. cabling. <gasps> yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So that is a bit of a bummer. Uh, but on the other hand, you get their impressive seat post. So that gives you between 30 and 230 mil of drop, which you can adjust. Um, so it sounds like uh, both you and I, Tom, were slightly unlucky with ours where According to Merida, the anodized finish on the post was too thin, mm. which explains why both of our posts ended up with big score marks on. Yeah. But 
in terms of functionality and the fact you can adjust it as much as you can, they're certainly onto something. It's really cool. Mm. It's a really, it's a really nice concept. I think it's really smart. Um, now in terms of the ride, I mean, geez, this thing, you, you could set it around. I think I was on about 32% sag in the end. You can run it a little bit deeper into the travel, but when you pedal it, it sits up and pedals like a trail bike. It's got a really steep seat angle, 79 degrees, perches you right up, nice and upright, sat over the bottom bracket. You can just spin up the climbs. Again, it's got draggy tires, you know, max grip tire on the front and max tire on the back, double down at the back, XO plus at the front. Um, so they're kind of the only things really holding you back. But the reality is when, when you are pedaling, it does feel like a trail bike. To the point, in fact, where I was riding up thinking, God, this is going to suck going downhill. But it was completely the opposite. As soon as you open it up and sink further into the travel and really start to push hard, it just, you can pump that bike through the undulations, fire out the turns, rail the corners, and it just keeps going. It's honestly, some sections of, of tracks that I know really well, where you can backside jumps and really, you know, really pump put your weight down through the bike. It just fires you forward to the point where you, you readjusting braking points and almost scaring yourself silly. It's, it's that sort of impressive. It's maybe has a bit more feedback compared to a bike like the mega, just because that's a bit plusher, but, um, it's by no means harsh or uncomfortable. You can still ride it. You know, the, the stuff that we rode, in Dolce Aqua in Italy, that those that last track we rode down, <laughs> basically riding down, I don't know, giants, rocky steps. It was pretty wild. And that thing just loved it. You know, I had all the grip I needed. It felt comfortable. Equally, there's that sort of, there's that turn of speed and that direct feel that you want and you need when you're riding a track that's maybe a bit mellower. Because let's be honest, enduro bikes, you have to ride them uphill and not everyone's just bombing down a mountainside, down mm. a downhill track. You know, for most of us, the reality is we may be doing that once a month, once every six months maybe. But most of the trails we're going to ride are going to be a bit more sedate, going to require a bit more pedaling, a bit more input from the rider. And so being able to have a bike that doesn't feel like it's just either stuck to the floor or so much effort to, you know, keep moving, I, I think is a massive bonus. Uh, especially for UK riding or, or, or anything similar. You can still attack all those steep trails, you know, where you winch up and plummet down, but you can also go to mellower sort of flow tracks with jumps and, you know, more sort of, I guess, bike parky stuff. It handles all the high to be stuff. It handles the slower stuff. It handles the mellow stuff and it does it all really, really well. And so in the end, as an overall, it, it had to come out on top. Yeah. And yours is the carbon frame version, wasn't it as well? It was the carbon frame version, yeah. Looked so incredible. It did look, it does look really good. Um, there was a couple of things, you know, like uh, Merida sell it with a Fidlock bottle, which I'm not a massive fan of. Mm. Um, they can get a bit rattly over time. There's a neat sort of uh, some down tube storage, which you access through the bottom of the frame, which is a nice idea, but can still let a bit of uh, gunk in from time to time. The tool the multi-tool you get sits in a small rubber pouch on the under the side of the saddle yeah. which again gets really gunky so if you have one if you do buy one i would suggest taking that out before you wash it or after every ride to dry it out because it mm. it soon deteriorates it gets pretty rusty pretty quick and you also get uh the rear axle pops out and you get a four a six and i think a t30 on there potentially I think I think it's but, four and a six on that one. Yeah, you got you've got to um, stick a load of thick grease on it though to stop it rattling. Mm. That's the key. But again, it's there's some really nice little touches. Maybe over time we'll see Merida refine some of this stuff. I, I think we're going to see some ref refinements made to some of them. Yeah, I, ultimately though they're out there with a lot of stuff, tons of features, a bike that rides amazingly well you know, they're doing, you know, they're doing brilliant considering, you know, I think the last Merida I had maybe scored a three and that mm -hmm. was about, that must've been in 2017, I want to say. It's a mm -hmm. long time ago. It, it was, you know, it was okay, but it wasn't great. This bike I could happily own. Yeah. 
Good yeah. stuff. I might as well jump onto my trail bike winner in that case because it was the Merida 140-700, which was the Merida that I had in my test, um, which basically means I'm going to echo a lot of, of what you said, Rob, but in a trail bike <laughs> context. Yours wasn't purple, though, so... Mine wasn't purple. Mine was <laughs> like a, 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 a very greeny turquoise, maybe? Yeah, I'd say that. I'm not sure. But it was really... It's, um, Basically, it's it's a really good bike. Um, I was just looking at the spec list now, and it was surprising. It's actually quite heavy at 16.1 kilos for my long, which probably makes it one of the heaviest bikes in my test. But um, I think, like you said, really, on the climbs, so I went on the launch for these both of these bikes, the 160 and the 140 last year, and the thing, the thing that really stood out for me was just how well these bikes climb. You, you sit on them, and there is no need for a lockout on the shock, ever, it feels. Mm. Like it, re- it genuinely feels like until you stand up and pedal like an absolute—I don't know what a, a politically correct term might be—but someone who isn't pedaling very well, like that rear shock just pretty much stays solid. It doesn't move, so like it's pretty it feels, stable. Yeah, it's incredibly efficient up a hill, but when it needs to move out the way, it does so. I'd say that there's probably more grip available from the likes of the Vitus with its softer rear end, but the payback is that it feels so efficient, so you, you just continue pedaling anyway. It kind of almost feels like a hard tub in some respects, certainly on my trail bike version of it. It's and, it's wild. And I, f- I forgot to say as well, so, yeah, my bike had 171 mil travel with the smaller back wheel in. <laughs> so it, it it's the... It had the second most... Like second amount, second highest amount of travel on test mm-hmm. at the rear, but pedaled the best by far. Pedaled the best, yeah. Yeah, it's mad. And, and the fact that, again, another little thing that Merida do is that uh you can swap to a bigger rear wheel by changing you know you're changing the flip chips and the link mm. whereas a lot of bikes now um the likes of the yt and the mega are both dedicated you buy that mixed wheel size bike or you buy the 29 right okay whereas on this you know so again it's another thing that Merida sort of it's another um arrow Strings in the their bow. quiver yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's quite a, it's a smart idea, I think, and they've done it well. Mm. So it's the same one because they share the same frame. It's the same on the one forty, um, and it bumps the travel up on the back. Uh, if you do it to like maybe one forty seven, I think you'd have if you to switch you'd have to, to the small wheel. You can if you switch to the twenty seven yeah. five, you'd have to quote me on that. One thing I liked about the Merida is the the sizing on them. The, you know, these are some of the most radically radically shaped bikes out there. So they have uh, they go extra short, short, mid. Long, long extra long yeah i mean it's effectively small extra small to extra large so i had the long and that came with the 505 or 509 mil reach like that's wild like super long but because they've got such a steep seat angle, i measured my seat angle at 80.5 degrees and that means that the top tube length isn't ridiculous which means that when you're sat pedaling it doesn't feel like you're super stretched out but when you stand up you've got all that length that gives you all the stability so you can rattle down things even on a 140 150 more bike absolutely flat out without feeling like you're on a really compromised bike now the head angle on the 140 i think it's 65 degrees so it's not exactly slack but again because you've got that length you have that high speed stability and then it's my bike had a mizoki z1 at the front which is a 36 mil stanchion fairly burly fork so you know there's all the authority you're going to need through the front end of the bike um, on my test bike, I swapped the 50 mil stem for a 40 mil stem, which kind of helped keep the steering feeling nice and agile. But like you say, you know, when you're going along like rolling terrain, you can really pump that bike. There's so much stability from the rear suspension that you can just generate speed, slap it into a berm or off a lip, and there's so much support you can absolutely fly off anything. And you know, the bike doesn't collapse under you when you really push it hard. And like you said, with the 160, it maybe isn't the smoothest bike over really chattery stuff. So, you know, rattling through some of the more rocky runs at Bike Park Wales, it's not the smoothest run, but it's definitely capable. You're never sort of feeling like you're going to get twanged offline or that you, you know, you're compromised in any way. It's just not as sofa smooth as some of the other bikes out there. The reality is, like, it's a bike that I felt you could go and do those massive epic cross-country laps, like you want to be able to do on a trail ride, because... You know, the bike does pedal so well, you know, you feel you're in a comfortable position. But if you want to do those winch and plummet rides, you know, you can get it really steep stuff. And then when you point it down really steep stuff, there's loads of support. The fork works really well. The suspension's nice. The geometry's really good. And the kit on the bike means that you can trust it in those steep and more technical 
sections. So decent tyres, really punchy, powerful brakes, SLX four pots front and back with the heat um, sink rotors and, and with the finned pads and stuff. It's just like an all-round really good package. Um, I do have a Merida 140s, a long-term bike in MUK, and I have done the cable change. So I've rerouted um, both gear cables and brake hoses through the frame. Not a big fan of headset-rooted cables. It's relatively easy, to be fair to it, on the Merida. It is kind of like push it in the back, you know, by the rear axle, push it through a little bit of guiding into the main triangle, and then it does just pop out at the top. It's, it's not amazing, but it's not, you know, it's maybe not the dream. But um, I think what really swung it for me with the Merida was when I was riding it, I was like, this is really good. It's doing, you know, it's climbing well, it's ascending really well. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, 3,900 pounds, it's, you know, it's pretty good value. And then I looked at the price and I was like, hang on a minute, it's not 3,900 pounds. It was uh, 3.3. And I was like, oh no, sorry, 3.1. 3.1. I was like, the value's insane. And at that point I was like, it's a surefire winner. So that's kind of one of the other reasons why it came out so high on top. It was really good spec, really good ride quality, really good all-round performance, um, and a really nice to see a brand like Merida doing such a cool bike. And you save yourself an imaginary 800 quid. I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can save some imaginary money, I mean, what's next? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there we go. A good year from Merida. And, and, you know, big up to those guys who've developed, uh, you know, that new frame um, platform. It's It's... It's really solid. So yeah, so that was my trail bike of the year. Um, Al, let's move on to you. What was your e-bike of the year? Well, uh, I think people will probably be surprised to learn that it is not a Merida. <laughs> they uh, haven't bought their, um, the motor to their new platform yet, although I imagine it's probably coming quite soon. Yeah, you'd suspect so, right, because the, the E160, um, is it E160? I can't remember what E160, it's called. E160, yeah. Yeah, the E160 um you know, it's it's probably not the most up to date bike. So um, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't in this year's test. Maybe next year if there's a new one, we'll we'll look at it. Um, for me, um, it, it was the Orbea Wild FSM team that came mm. out on top, um, and this actually uh, came into the test quite late. So um, you know, inevitably, I was, I was a little bit grumpy. I was a little bit grumpy about the the bike having turned <laughs> up when it did. Um, so it was actually quite a surprise when I jumped on it and it it was like a real sum of all of its parts is basically the best way to describe it. Um, the, there was no like one specific character or, or quality of the bike that jumped out at me that made it win. It was just everything. Um, so you've got the Bosch motor, you've got the powerful, powerful Bosch motor with incredible battery life, the same as the YE180 RSX. So that puts it on a level playing field with the white in terms of power and bumps it ahead of the Santa Cruz. In terms of geometry, what you're basically doing is blending the best bits of the Santa Cruz and the white, and, and you get the Orbea. It's got a steeper seat tube angle, it's got a slack head angle, it's got nice long 448mm chainstays, good reach figure, and it's just so balanced. You hurtle down a gnarly rough track and the bike is doing everything for you you can just concentrate on going fast or being controlled or whatever it is that you enjoy the most when you're riding your bike you can do it on this bike next up was the spec now at 9207 quid it's a lot of money and it was mm. actually the most expensive out of these three um but for that money you know you're not going to be upgrading anything let's put it that way um yeah, so for, for £9,207, it's it's a lot of money. But for that money, you know, you get you get a really impressive spec. Um, and if you want, uh, with Orbea's MyO program, you can actually upgrade the bike to your specifications or indeed downgrade it if that's what you'd like to do. So our test bike had DH casing tyres um, and it had a Fox Transfer factory post fitted to it, which upped the price by you know, a couple of hundred quid. So the actual retail price of this model is probably around, you know, ju just under nine grand. Um, this is great for people because you can make your bike your own. Mm. Um, and, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, this bike was kind of made my own with the with this tyre this tire, tire upgrade, you know, DH casing, oh my God, hallelujah. Thank <laughs> you so much. Didn't suffer a single puncture, not a single burp. And, you know, I was running much lower pressures than normal. Um, on the climbs, you know, that it, 
that state seat tube angle, it just makes it feel like really efficient, really comfortable. Um, the suspension's super active, super fluttery. There's loads of grip. Your weight's not shifting fore and aft all the time. You're not lifting front wheels. You're not slipping the back wheel. Um, and then on the downhills, you can just go so damn fast. Mm. The icing on the cake is that it's not even that heavy. Um, it's like 23 point something kilos, um, which for an e-bike with downhill casing tires, you know, that's actually quite light. It, it was the lightest. Uh, oh, sorry, the, the bullet was the lightest out of these ones. That was 22.8 or something. But that didn't have downhill casing tires. It had double down tires on. So, you know, it's it's just an absolutely cracking bike. Um, I, I really couldn't recommend it enough. And there are loads of other models as well in the in the wild range. Um, and you can pick and choose the bits to, to make it yours, basically. I think um, with the Mayo, you can choose the paint job on it as well, which I always yep. really like. Yep, you can do the whole shebang. You could go poo brown or uh, fairy pink or aqua blue. You know, you can do whatever yeah. you want or or a mix of all three of those, I yeah. believe. There's loads of different paint finishes. All the decals can be done at different colours. It's yep. There's literally like a million of co- a million combinations. So if you're a yep. bit wild, you can have something that looks absolutely crazy or you can just have it black. <laughs> yeah, or just black, which is probably what most of us will do anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know, it, it was just, it, like I say, it, it wasn't any specific character. And I think that's probably the best backhanded compliment about a bike mm. that you could ever make is that it sort of melted into the background in, in the way that it could just be ridden and abused. Um, and for, you know, an enduro focused e-bike, what more could you want? Um, so for me, you know, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't a huge difference, but all those little bits just added up together to push it push it over over the over the winners um over the finish line in the winning spot basically lovely stuff yeah yeah so uh th- that's me i think okay well thanks ever so much guys for well for working so hard on this year's bike of the year thanks for coming along to the podcast as well to tell all our listeners about the winning bikes and the top of the two bikes as well rob uh, i know you've got to run to your first aid course so have a good time there um and al thanks very much uh, for your time as well yeah thank you tom Thanks, Tom. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 